This is a Federal News Network podcast. Faced with ongoing morale issues, the State Department has highlighted workforce retention goals as part of an agency modernizing strategy. The department is focused on recruiting and retaining a diverse workforce and addressing recurring problems that have prompted some employees to take a hike mid-career. It's also keeping telework in place even after the pandemic. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman takes a closer look at this strategy. The State Department is building up its cybersecurity and IT workforce and addressing workforce morale issues as part of a sweeping modernization of the agency. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, speaking Wednesday at the Foreign Service Institute, launched a strategy to modernize the department in the face of emerging threats. Over the past several months, we've listened to the career workforce. We've heard from the State Department's partners and advocates inside and outside of government, including in Congress, about what needs to be done to make sure that we're dealing effectively with the most significant challenges before us and meeting the needs and aspirations of the American people. The diagnosis is actually widely shared. And so are the remedies. The Modernization of American Diplomacy Initiative pivots the department to focus on cybersecurity and emerging technology as part of its day-to-day diplomatic mission. The strategy also overhauls the department's thinking on recruitment and retention with a particular focus on overcoming its longstanding challenges promoting diverse talent through its upper ranks. We have a window before us to make historic, lasting change, and we're determined to seize it. The first pillar of the strategy calls on the department to build capacity and expertise in areas critical to national security. That includes a particular focus on climate, global health, economics, multilateral diplomacy, cybersecurity, and emerging technology. Blinken says these policy areas reflect the Biden administration's top priorities. It reflects a significant reorientation of U.S. foreign policy that focuses on the forces that most directly and consequentially affect Americans' lives, livelihoods, and security and that will increasingly be at the heart of our alliances and partnerships and core to our engagement with strategic competitors. As part of this effort, the department will launch a Bureau for Cyberspace and Digital Policy. The new bureau will be headed by an ambassador at large, and the department will name a new special envoy for critical and emerging technology. Blinken said both of these leadership positions will report to the deputy secretary, Wendy Sherman, for at least a year. Meanwhile, the department will bring in additional STEM-specialized talent into the civil and foreign services. Blinken said this strategic realignment will position the department to make cybersecurity a top priority for diplomats. We have a major stake in shaping the digital revolution that's happening around us and making sure that it serves our people, protects our interests, boosts our competitiveness, and upholds our values. We want to prevent cyber attacks that put our people, our networks, companies, and critical infrastructure at risk. The department is asking for a 50% increase in its IT budget and is also focused on improving its data analytics capabilities. Blinken also promoted the State Department's release of its first enterprise data strategy. The department has vast and diverse data sets, but we haven't done a good enough job making data available to you in a timely and useful way to help you make missions or, or management decisions more effectively. We're changing that. Another pillar of the plan focuses on recruiting and retaining a diverse workforce while also addressing common challenges that have caused some employees to leave the department. Now, there was a time when if you wanted to work, travel abroad, live a global life, build a rewarding and challenging career, well, the State Department was the place to be, maybe the only place to be. But in today's economy, in today's world, someone looking for that kind of life and work has a lot more options. So we need to step up our game, too. Modernization of the department will address common retention challenges, which Blinken outlines here. No one at the State Department expects their jobs to be easy, 
That's not why we're here. But many have asked whether it has to be quite this hard. It can be challenging and stressful for family members to find jobs and maintain their own careers. Hardship posts and unaccompanied posts can take a real toll. The promotion pipeline has narrowed, and too many of our employees face tougher obstacles overseas because of their race, gender, or because they're LGBTQI, or have a disability. I take all these issues very seriously, and I know that we can do even more to address them, to ensure that choosing a career with the State Department is not only meaningful and rewarding, but sustainable and family-friendly as well. Blinken says the department will keep workplace flexibilities like telework in place beyond the COVID-19 pandemic, and its Global Talent Management Bureau is also standing up a retention unit to better understand why employees consider leaving in the first place. Meanwhile, the department continues to confront anomalous health incidents that have more commonly been referred to as Havana Syndrome. Cases have been reported since 2016, and the head of the Health Incident Response Task Force, Ambassador Pamela Spratland, stepped down last month. Blinken said the department continues to investigate the root cause of these incidents. I've met with colleagues around the world who've been struck by these health incidents. I'm deeply moved by what they've been through. We will not spare any effort to protect our people, to make sure they have access to the best care, and we will leave no stone unturned to get to the bottom of what and who is behind these incidents. These incidents remind us that being a diplomat can be dangerous, and we must do everything we can to keep our people and their families safe. The State Department's fiscal 2022 budget request would increase spending on the department and USAID by 10 percent and would enable the largest hiring campaign in a decade. Blinken said Congress so far has responded favorably to this request. Blinken said the department will also increase the number of senior executive service level positions in its civil service by 10 percent. That's the first significant increase in more than a decade. Blinken earlier this year named former ambassador to Malta, Gina Abercrombie Winstanley, as the department's first chief diversity and inclusion officer. It's an elevation of the previous chief diversity officer position that now sits on promotion boards at the department and monitors the upward mobility of the department's workforce. Abercrombie Winstanley and her team will soon release their preliminary strategic plan and will finalize the plan early next year. In the meantime, Blinken outlined the diversity, equity, and inclusion work the department already has underway. We're already implementing important steps, such as establishing a demographic baseline against which future progress can be measured, improving transparency for the Foreign Service bidding process, and securing funding for paid internships so you don't have to come from a well-off family to afford the opportunity. Blinken says the department has lifted more than half of its current assignment restrictions. It's a practice that bars some employees from serving in a particular country or working on issues related to that country, regardless of their security clearance status. Critics have called the practice discriminatory, and several House Democrats introduced a bill last month that would restrict the use of assignment restrictions. The department is also gearing up to provide a training float within its workforce, a concept former Secretary of State Colin Powell envisioned for diplomats. Secretary Powell had a vision for what the military calls a training float, a set number of employees who are getting professional training at any given time without sacrificing our readiness. Now, we will make that happen. We're working to add more positions for the training float in the current budget, and we'll push to increase those numbers even more in the coming years. Blinken said the department is also exploring workforce exchanges and job rotation programs with other agencies, as well as within the private sector and Congress. Lincoln says the department is also conducting several internal reviews over the evacuation of Afghanistan. Blinken says it was a remarkable achievement that the U.S. evacuated more than 120,000 Afghans, Americans, and foreign partners in a matter of days. 
But he also recognized the operation was incredibly difficult and fraught with challenges. And there are many things that now, looking back, we can and should ask. Could we have done things differently? Could we have taken that step differently? Should we have tried that idea first? Could we have gotten to that decision more quickly? We learned a lot in a short period of time. We learned it the hard way. We learned by doing. Now, we owe it to ourselves, to our Afghan friends and partners, to the future State Department employees who might find themselves facing a similar challenge one day to capture all that we learned, to study it, to apply it, to preserve it in a way that it enhances our future planning and helps us prepare better for future contingencies. Jory Heckman, Federal News Network. Be sure to check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most 
was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. 
It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.